Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. Well, we're completing our comedy weekend of marriage commitment and all that. For those of you who missed it, we're going to have some more as the year goes along. But this last weekend was outstanding. We had over 100 people attending, some from as far as Lake Elizabeth, one couple from Ventura, and uh, most of the people from our church here. It was great. Uh, Michael Smalley was our presenter and speaker, and he got us to laugh and enjoy one another. And in that laughter, he snuck all kinds of good ideas into our minds and thoughts about how to improve our relationship. Michael has a passion for couples and for marriage, and most of all, for Jesus Christ. So Michael comes to share with us once again. So Michael, thanks for coming and being our speaker today for us. Buenos dias. Como estas? Bien, y tú? También. That's right, isn't it? Now I'm feeling judged. And I got to look at a Kansas City chief guy. <sighs> so who are you guys going for today? Oh, are, are the Rams in L.A. now? All right. Well, I'm an avid Seahawks fan. I heard Justin is. Where is he? Oh, right. You said that earlier. Sorry. So... Uh, I kind of grew up with the Seahawks. My dad was sort of a de facto chaplain for them, and I got to spend many summers at their mini camps, uh, learning how to play football and hanging out with all those guys. So I, when I say rabid, I can't watch them live because I get angry. And I say things that I can't unsay. So it is an honor to be here with you and to be here this whole weekend from Friday to today. And I just want to say thank you, because you have a great spirit here at, 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 at Cyprus, because I do this a lot, and I can usually pick up on a place about immediately as I walk in the front doors, and you guys have such a kind staff and kind pastors and the folks that did the marriage thing. Who was there, by the way, Friday and Saturday? And who didn't go? Put your hand up. We're going to write your names down. And mercilessly shame you for the rest of your life. No, here's the truth. I wouldn't have gone if I wasn't like hired to do it. So I totally understand. I don't, I'm not going to go to that weird thing and they're going to make us do odd couples exercises, like stare at each other for five minutes without talking. You ever done that? My wife would be like, your breath smells. That's what I would get. So this morning is a very important morning for you. It might actually be the most important morning of your life. Because standing before you, God has not allowed me to die. And that's good because I often wonder, has he saved me? I've had 10 near-death experiences, legitimate ones, not little wimpy things. One of them, just one, was being abducted in India. So, have you ever been abducted? Anybody? Yeah. So, just one of them was being abducted as an adult, too. So, it's not a child abduction. <laughs> People are just like, oh, you. And 
I wonder sometimes when I'm somewhere, like, has God kept me around for somebody here this morning? That's why this is important, because I'm still alive, and I'm here, and the message God has put on my heart is what I call relentless mercy. Now, if I see some of your eyes keep looking at this picture behind me, um, in the fall of 2017, I wanted to die. I was miserable. I would probably phrase it as I was passively suicidal. In the fall of 2017, that's pretty recent, and I was 305 pounds and miserably addicted to food, which I might argue is one of the worst addictions to have because it's the only addiction that's acceptable. Socially, if you're the fat guy in the room, which that, you know, uh, yeah, people are like, well, he, he obviously loves food. Let's give him more food. And I clearly don't know how to control myself, so I will take said food and feel miserable about it because that's what stinks about addiction is that if you don't understand it or if you can't empathize, right, with someone who might be addicted to something intense, and, and, and a food addiction is real and very intense, is the nature of addiction is I keep doing something that I don't want to do, that I feel miserable about, that does not bring joy or happiness to my life, and I can't stop. And, it, and it's that feeling of being out of control. And what stinks when it's a food addiction is, you know, if I came to church when I was at this weight, and you can put that away, because I like, I want you to see, I sometimes, my fear is that you, you hear some guest preacher come in, and you're like, you don't really know my struggle. Like, that's easy for you to say, because you you're not going through what I'm going through. And I like to show that not out of condemnation. That is not embarrassing for me. I do not feel judged. I am not doing that to, like, you know, dishonor myself. I, I'm simply showing that photo so that you might have an actual visual and understanding maybe when I say that I was passively suicidal, that I was miserable. I was totally out of control. And I was unhealthy, right? It's not good to be like that. I was 305 pounds. And This morning is about God's relentless mercy. And for you, I don't know what your thing is. I really don't. But the thing with that food addiction that I have struggled with for more than 20 years of my life, basically my entire marriage, I blame my wife. It's really I'm a victim because I, put, I gained all the baby weight for her. That is a pretty loving thing to do. We have three children. Every pregnancy, she's, my wife is highly disciplined. So it was hard for her to even gain weight when she got pregnant. But you have to because you have a baby. And, and so she was less disciplined. And so I would eat right along with her. At midnight, I want a pizza. I'm like, I'm all in. And so with every child, I would put on 20 pounds. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then she would have the baby, and it was freakish. Weeks after the baby is born, she's back to normal. I'm going, oh, no, now I look pregnant. And so if it was a heroin addiction and I came to church this morning and I'm in the lobby and I'm start about to shoot up with some heroin, 
What would you do? What would you say? Right? Because heroin's really bad. And we know that. Or if it was crack or meth. I just want to say all the big drugs at church on a Sunday. It's kind of fun. You should try it. Not don't try heroin. Just talk about it in a message. And so that's what was so frustrating for me is that if it was heroin, you'd be like, uh, hello, you need help, and I'd be at a rehab place. No one would support my use of heroin, but when it's food, and I show up this morning, what do I get? Here's a donut, a big guy. Right? When I'm at restaurants, when you're the biggest one at the table, the waiter or waitress always brings you the check. I've never understood that one. But I'm telling you, it's true. The biggest person at the table gets the check. And I'm like, I'm not paying. But you ate the most, so you should pay. <laughs> or they go, hey, you need to try this dessert. And, and I'm trying to be healthy. And I'm going, no, thank you. But thanks. No, no, no. It's like you look at me going, you're fat. You'll love this. Eat, 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 eat. And so the level of powerlessness, hopelessness, um, that I was feeling in the fall of 2017 became totally overwhelming. And that's where God's relentless mercy kicks in. So this morning, the key verse, and I'm going to read, it's out of uh, Joel, if I can see, Joel 2, 12 through 14. So if you want to open up your Bible app or your paper Bible, who uses that anymore? It looks like everybody does. Who uses like the app app? I love the app. Nobody uses the app or you're just angry with me? Okay, there we go. Joel 2, 12 through 14. This is the message version because I love how this comes out. But there's also this. It's not too late. God's personal message. Come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping, sorry for your sins. Change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God. I'm, I want to remind you this morning that it's not just God, the all-powerful creator of the universe. He's your God, personally. And he loves you relentlessly. Change your life, not just your clothes. God, and, and this is, by the way, this is why you want to run to God in these dark moments. God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath, puts up with a lot. This most patient God, extravagant, extravagant in love, always ready to cancel catastrophe. I promise you, I was and have been catastrophic in my life and made terrible decisions. But this one, this weight thing, and how I specifically defiantly disobeyed God in, a, in, a, in an important moment wrecked me. It was the worst catastrophe of my life, and God is wanting to cancel it. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when all's said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust 
for your God. My problem <clears throat> is that I, you know, God speaks to you still. And if you haven't learned how to listen to God, I'm going to highly recommend you do it. And if you didn't realize that God will speak to you, you need to know that he does. He is not an ancient being. He is alive and well today, and he's everywhere, and he cares about you. And so your responsibility is to just be smart enough and open to hear from him because he wants to. And so in my arguably darkest hour of my life, in the fall of 2017, I said to myself, you know what? I'm okay dying young because I would rather eat and be happy than try to be healthy. And it was in that desperation I was done. I was saying, Lord, I choose food over you. See, I'd turn, that's, that's all addiction is, by the way. It's saying that thing is more important to me than God. That's all it is. And by the way, there's other addictions than just food, heroin, drugs, alcohol. Those are like the normal ones that we think about. You could be addicted to your marriage. Your kids could be an idol. Your church could be an idol. It's anything that is more important to you than God. And so in that moment of just brutal honesty in my head, I went, nope, I want food. And I am happy when, I'm when I get to eat anything and everything I want and as much as I want. And if that means I die in the next year or two, so be it. It's in that dark moment that God stepped in. And it was like the Holy Spirit, at least in my life, it feels like that the Holy Spirit will, he'll, he'll like, he'll, it's like he'll just let me do it and let me mess up and let me screw up. And, and then there's always like these moments where he's like, enough. And he just stepped in in a powerful way. And the Lord just went, enough. And he goes, are you seriously choosing food over me? And I had to go, Yeah. I am. And he goes, you're done. This ends. You're, I'm going to deliver you from this thing. You're going to go see your doctor. And I thought, ah, oh, because my doctor is also one of my best friends. And that's a terrible setup because he says really mean things to me. <laughs> and I love Bigler and I call him Biggie because he's very short. And and I'm like, I don't want to have to go see Biggie. And he's like, you're going to go see Biggie. And I'm like, fine. So the next day or so, I make an appointment. And, he, and he, you know, the, nur the nurse weighs me. I'm in such shame and condemnation about my problem that I can't look at the scale. Right? I don't want to know anything about it. So what I didn't know is I was at 305 pounds. And I go in the room. I'm totally depressed. I want to die. And I'm hopeless. And so Bigler walks into the room and he kind of flings it open and dramatic, dramatically he goes, are you trying to kill yourself? This is how my doctor, you know, walked in. And I, and I just sat there and in an honest moment, because it, I had just said the day before that I would just, yeah, I'm good dying, passively suicidal. He goes, are you trying to kill yourself? And I went, yeah. And he goes, Oh, wait, what? I was just trying to be dramatic. 
I go, well, it was. And it is also unfortunately true. And he goes, dude, that's a problem. I went, yeah, I'm aware of that. Thanks. And so he just looked at me and he goes, I think it's time for you to consider weight loss surgery. So if you want to know, I weigh 305 pounds. Put that photo back up for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't even look like me. Does it? Don't answer that question. That's like a wife going, how does this dress make me look? Wonderful, honey. So I'm at the worst place in my life, and Bigler goes, you need to consider weight loss surgery. My response was, well, I can't. And he, he looked at me and he goes, what do you mean you can't? I go, well, like 10 years ago, I called this weight surgery place and they interviewed me over the phone and you know why I can't. And he goes, uh, no, you're going to have to help me. I'm like, you're my doctor. How do you not know? You go, remember, I donated a kidney to my father, 2003, they removed a rib. That's right. A whole rib, gone. Now that I've lost all my weight, you can see it. Do you want to see it? It is freaky. That's not what you told me yesterday. Man, I almost made that so much weirder. So you're welcome that I stopped. No, you really can. It's creepy. Because I was morbidly obese when I donated a kidney to my father, and they removed the rib, and you, you couldn't tell. And so... Uh, and you know, I do make an offer if you, after service, if you like want to feel the missing rib part, you can. This guy seems totally not open to that. <laughs> totally closed, which is wise. He must be a wise man. So I go, dude, I, I only have one kidney. I'm, I'm not a candidate. And he goes, that has nothing to do with it. I go, it doesn't. He goes, and second of all, why wouldn't you have come to me and ask? 10 years ago, and it dawned on me, yeah, why didn't I go to my best friend and ask, hey, I was just told I'm not, and it's kind of a part of my stupid story, is I was so oppressed, I was so depressed, I was so overwhelmed with this problem in my life that I did a lot of dumb things when you look back on it with hindsight. And so here's God's relentless mercy is that, and this is what kind of freaks me out, and this has been the biggest lesson I've gotten out of this entire journey, is that all of a sudden, I have hope again. Because I've dieted, I've done everything. The shot with the female hormones, and you can only eat 500 calories a day, and like, oh my Lord, just anything and everything. And every time I'd lose weight, and then I'd double back on whatever. So if I lost 20, I'd end up gaining 40. If I lost 40, I'd end up gaining 80. It was just, I, I was like, I'm not gonna diet. And he goes, well, let's just, Take your stomach out of the equation. That's why I love when people go, how have you lost 125 pounds? My first answer is always willpower and self-control. <laughs> and they typically look offended. <laughs> like, oh, I don't have either of those. And I'm like, no, I removed my stomach. So I took that out of the equation. It's really easy to eat better when you can't eat. And so now I drink protein shakes eating healthier than I ever have in my life, and I don't even care about food. And so that dark moment, and I, I, maybe the most important thing I want you to hear this morning about God's relentless mercy, because I know every single one of you staring at me, I don't feel judged at all. I really don't. 
because I don't care how pretty you are. I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how successful, whatever. Every one of you has something. Every single one of you. We are not ignorant to that because we have something too. Mike and I, pastors, are in the exact same boat of sin that you are. Now, mine might look different than yours. Yours might not be a food addiction. I don't know what it is. But I don't know what that thing is that you feel desperately hopeless about. It could be your marriage. It could be a child. It could be, I don't know. It could be lying. I have no idea. I just know there's something there. And if it got to a place like mine did, because my biggest problem was that God, seven years ago, had already performed a miracle in my life about food when he, he just radically saved me from that. And I lost like close to 80 pounds over the course of two and a half years. It was awesome. The one thing God said through that process of change for me is you're never going to have dessert again. I'm taking that desire away. So don't ever eat one again. And my, my journey towards into this pit of hell, right? That didn't get really delivered from until June of 2018 was that two and a half years of God miraculously working in my life. I was driving with my daughter. I'll never forget this. And she goes, hey, can we go by Starbucks? I want to get a mocha frappuccino. I'm not a Starbucks guy. I don't know what a mocha frappuccino is. I go, what, what is that? She goes, well, it's ice, coffee, and like cocoa powder, and they just blend it. And I'm like, ooh, that sounds good. I think I'll have one. And here was the fatal error, because in that moment, the Holy Spirit welled up and went, hey, uh uh-uh, that's dessert. He really did. So I'm having a conversation with God where he says, don't you dare. I told you one thing, you're not ever eating dessert again. And I go, come on, this is ice, coffee, and mocha powder. It's not dessert. And the Holy Spirit was like, it is dessert. And I go, technically, maybe, but Michael, what? One. Do you not have that discipline technique? Two. That didn't go over as well as I hoped. I'll try it in a different way someday. So, but the Lord was so specific. Don't you dare. And I did it. I'm telling you, I have disobeyed the Holy Spirit one time in my life. Now, that doesn't mean I sin and make mistakes and all that, but when I have clearly heard the Holy Spirit tell me something, I have never disobeyed that. And it's not like 150 different times, but I've never done it except this one time. And the the evil one strategy at that point, I almost imagine they just went, oh, thank you. This is going to be easy. And I mean, it went from one mocha frappuccino to the next day I got two to the next day I got three in that day to four to, and then I was done. I was officially off the wagon and I was had so much shame and condemnation for deliberately disobeying God that over the course of three years, my father died and we took care of him for 18 months through home hospice. So 
if you have a food addiction, what might be your coping strategy for your dad dying right in front of you in your own home? Food. Well, I had already blown it, so I was like, I am in. My previous weight record had been 278, I think, and I went flying by that one, and I knew there was no stopping because I had gotten convinced that there's no way God can love me. There's no way, I don't even know if I believe in God because how could I be so deliberately disobedient I even got to the place, and that's where I was in the fall of 2017, that I may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And that's like the really scary sin. That's like the one that we don't fully understand, but it's like, if you, you know, the only way that I'll never take a bath is you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I think I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I'm a pastor. I'm in ministry full time. That's all I do. Do you have any idea how miserable that is to be preaching about a God that you don't think could ever love you again. That is miserable. I wanted out. I wanted death. It was done for me. And then I learned something about his relentless mercy. So please, just be open to hearing this one. Here's what's so crazy about God's mercy. So at my worst... God was still there. Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Back in Joel, we read, God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath. He puts up with a lot. Do you know why we struggle believing this? Because I know that like, if things are going okay in your life, you're like, yeah, okay, God's good, loving, merciful or so I'm told. Do you know why you really, though, when you're as debauched and addicted and totally out of control and radically disobeying him, and you know it, you're not clueless, like you know you're, whatever you're doing, you know it's wrong, right? It's those secret sins that really kill us, the, the pornography that we can hide pretty effectively, Right, the stuff that we do that we don't think anybody knows about, and sometimes they don't. And we just convince ourselves that there's no way, no way God can love me, not me, because I am as bad as it gets. That's where I was. But the truth is, your problem in accepting this in whatever you're struggling with right now is that you project your own junk onto God. Your problem is that you're not merciful. You're not very forgiving. You're not very patient with your kids. You're not overly patient with your spouse. You're kind of a jerk. You sort of retaliate. When your feelings get hurt, oh, they'll find out about it. You'll either escalate and everybody hears, or you'll be like me and, and avoid and passive aggressively punish them. Oh, I was supposed to pick you up? Oh, I am so sorry. Are you going to clean your room tomorrow? That's what my mother used to do to punish me for not cleaning my room. She'd be late to school. I'd be out there going, where is she? I'm all alone. I'd be like three or four years old. I'm kidding. She never did that. But she would be late, and she would do it on the drive home. I'd be like, hey, what happened? Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. But hey, uh, I noticed your room wasn't cleaned. And I'd go, were you late because... 
I didn't clean my room. Oh, no. Mm -mm. Kind of feels like you were. But your problem could be that you're projecting your sin, your problems, Onto God, because it can't be that on the cross, as Christ was dying, there's two other dudes. That I we must misunderstand that somehow. It's not fair. It's like most of us can read the prodigal son story. You know the prodigal story in the Bible? Kid wastes all the money, debauchery, and then the older brother. We're the older brother. We tend to be that older brother in that story where we go, hey, this isn't fair. That guy lived a terrible life, is dying on a cross, and at the last second, he's like, I believe. Christ is like, you're in, buddy. You'll be with me in paradise today. We're like, what? That's not fair. It's because our mind and our hearts are limited. God is not limited. And what we learn in Scripture is it gives him delight He delights in giving you mercy. Do you understand what that means? Do you fully grasp how intense and relentless that is? Because, here's the one thing I hope you remember today. Because, do you know what must be going on in your life in order for God to show you mercy? When can he give you mercy? When you are at your worst, when you are being your most disobedient, your most dysfunctional, your most terrible self, our God delights in giving you mercy. That is insane, people. Our God, his very nature is that when you are at your worst, he finds pleasure in being merciful to you. That, we don't, we don't behave that way though, do we? That is what you need to embrace this morning, is that you cannot sin enough to escape God's mercy. So you can keep being miserable. It's your choice, because he loves us so much that not only does he delight in mercy, he gave us the option to reject him. But here's the truth, our freedom in life, freedom from your pain, that thing that is plaguing you, freedom from that is, is, is as simple as trusting him and loving him, turning back to him, trusting that he wants to care for you, believing that even though I blatantly disobeyed the Holy Spirit telling me, don't you dare get that mocha frappuccino, Even though I did that, what is so sad is for those three to four years of just total meltdown, pit of hell kind of season of my life, he was there with me the entire time. And I just kept rejecting it. He is with you now. And he wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you mercy. The question is whether you're willing to receive it. Are you willing to reach out your hand and go, Lord, I, I am, and that's where I finally landed. I, it, what's sad is we don't often understand these things like God's mercy until we've hit rock bottom. So at least he's still there.
He's with us when it's good. He's with us when it's terrible. And he wants to love you. He wants to give you freedom. And if you're willing to reach out and then obey, that the freedom comes in loving him. What's God's love language? You know the five love languages? What's God's? Is it quality time? Physical touch? Acts of service? Which one is his? <laughs> None of those. That was a setup. No one took the bait. You got to tell these people they can interact with me on it. Okay. So his love language, just so you know, because this is where you find freedom in loving him, is obedience. And here's, it gets better, by the way. And it's not some ridiculous thing. Like, all right, 15 push-ups in the morning. That's one of my commands and uh, 50 sit-ups and you got to pray 27 times in February. But then it's none of that. Do you know what all of his commands are? How to love God and how to love others. The freedom is that God demands from you to be a sacrifice, to lay down your life, to surrender it to him, and then he takes over and he gets it done. So it's not my power in those weak moments, it's his. And that's what I what God reminded me of in the fall of 2017 when I went, I'm good dying. Is that, oh, I see the picture here and I thought it was back up there. It's very traumatizing. I'm just, my, I'm just staring at myself. So I want to pray because there's two groups of people here this morning. One, you don't know why you're here today. You don't know why you showed up. And you haven't believed in God, and I, I just want today to be that day for you because we're going to have time to respond. I want that for you because if you don't believe, then you're still lost, and the solution is right here in front of you. It's community, and it's loving him. The second group are people like me who you do believe. You're just lost, <laughs> You're overwhelmed by your sin. You're overwhelmed by that thing. You've made a choice like I did, and you've been incredibly disobedient. And you can't possibly imagine God loving you in your junk. And, and if that's you, I'm just going to ask that your response today would be just to run back to him and go, Lord, what do you want? Because I need you. And I, I, I believe that you still love me even now. Let's bow our heads. If you're, you know, with, with all eyes closed, and then I'm going to read something I wrote because it's something I think God wants you to hear, so I want that to be a part of the prayer. But if you're in that first group and you're realizing this morning that you, you need to make a choice today, uh, just put your hand up. I'd be curious just to see, and I want to encourage you to get connected with a pastor or just, you know, a believer here. If you're in that second group like me and you're realizing today that you've been lost and you haven't been able to receive his mercy because you just didn't believe it, would you put your hand up? Just receive this. Lord, thank you for everything you do. God, that, my heavens, that 
you are the God of miracles and of hope and of freedom and, and of mercy, Lord. And thank you for your relentless mercy. And help everyone here this morning receive these words. Because what God is trying to tell us, little one, I have so much I want to give you. You are my child, my blessed one. Let me love you. It's okay, I'm here. I see you, and I see me in you. You aren't just some thing. You are made in my image. Will you please take my hand? Lord, thank you. We love you. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.